So the line that gets me, and I've watched it a number of times, the line that gets me is this. How do I honor my father's legacy? How do I honor my father's legacy? Now, there's the human side of that, obviously, uh, and, and, and we have parents, and how do we honor the legacy of our parents and, and the way that we live? But I think there's a spiritual piece to that question, don't you? How do we honor our father's legacy? What, what, do, we, what do we do with that? Um, we, we've, we're in this series called This Is Us, and just like the show, uh, we find ourselves, when we read the Bible and we pay attention, when we, when we listen to Scripture, when we, when we read the words that God has given us and we pay attention, we find that the Bible is not just this disconnected story of something that's happened in the past, but rather it's our story. The story of Scripture is the story of us. It's, it's, it's the way that we live, and it's repeated again and again and again in our lives. And so we've started the, the, the first two weeks with, with these understandings. Number one, this, this idea that we are image bearers of God, right? We're image bearers of God. And you may not recognize this within you. You may not, you may not see within yourself that you're an image bearer of God. But when God created the world, the stories that we find at the very beginning of Scripture, when God created the world, we get this idea that he put his fingerprints all over it, Right? I mean, how many of you have at some point in your life looked at a sunrise or a sunset and you thought to yourself, wow, God, have you ever thought that? Like, wow, God, that, that's amazing. His fingerprints are on creation, but his image, like his image, like who God is was not placed on creation. It was placed on who? It was placed on us. Like the, the very image of the creator of the universe is on you and it's on me. And we, we can never forget this. This, this is so vitally important to, to us understanding our identity. And listen, many of the, many of the struggles that we have in life is, is a struggle of identity. I have this, this friend who's a counselor, and uh, it's interesting, he he tells me that the deeper he gets into conversations with people, it's al almost always the same. It's, it's why they, they asked me not to do much counseling anymore is because I would like cut people off when I heard, you know, and I said, here's your problem. And they're like, no, no, we want to talk some more. And I'm like, you don't need to talk anymore. Here's your problem. I've identified it. That's not a good counseling practice. Um, <laughs> and, and my friend who's a counselor, he said, so many issues that people deal with today have to do with identity issues. And it might be because of something that happened to them in the past and their family of origin, but, but it comes down to this, like, this lack of understanding of who we really are. You were created in the image of God. You were created in His image. And, and that in itself should cause us every morning to step back and say, wow, God, you created me, of all things in this world, you created me in your image. Now, I know that we don't do that. Like, you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself probably right now, come on, Matt, you're the pastor, you have to say that kind of thing. But you, we, you would never stand in front of a mirror and say, wow, God. But we should. We should, we should, we should, because we were created in his image. Now, the second part, what we talked about last week, is the heavier part, right? This is the part that most of us dwell on. We're broken and we rebel against God. We're in rebellion. So many of us would say, well, even if, even, even if God created me in, in his image, I have messed it up so badly. 
that there's, there's no hope for me. Have you ever thought that? Yeah, some of you are like, yes, that is me. Yeah, we, we, we tend to dwell on this second piece of the story. And what we forget is that this is the middle. Like this part is, is the middle. It's not the end. The, the, the concept, the idea that we're broken and, and we're rebelling against God, that's not the end of the story. There's still more to be written. And the piece of being an image bearer is the core identity that is as broken and as rebellious as we are. There's still the core of who God created us to be. Are you with me so far? Okay. So we're, we're created in the image of God, but we're broken. We rebel against God. And, and the question becomes, now what? Now, now what? When, when, when we're broken and we rebel, what happens with us? Like, where do we go? What do we do? And, and many think uh, that, that when we're broken and when we rebel, that God just discards us. Like, he moves on. Like, he wants to find something else. But the truth is that, that God continues even in our rebellion, and this is the, be- this is the beauty of, of the story of God, that his grace and his love and his mercy move him to pursue us even in our rebellion, even when we turn our back and we run from God. Even some of us today who would say, I, I, don't, I-, I don't even know if there is a God, and even if there is, I, I don't have any idea of-, of what it means to pursue him. Well, the good news is he pursues you. Like, you're not alone. He's, he's pursuing you. And so this is the path I want us to take today. I want us, I want us to, to, to kind of zero in on this understanding of that, that God pursues us even in our rebellion, in our brokenness, and he calls us to something so much bigger. And I want to do this. Um, th- this story is repeated again and again and again in Scripture through different people, but I want to focus on a story that you've probably heard before in the past. Um, I'm going I'm to say the name of this, this person who's in the story, this character, and I want you to just to say out loud the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Like, for example, let's, let's do a practice one. Jesus. Okay. I have no idea what you said because it was mumbling, but <laughs> you got it. You got the idea. I'm going to say somebody, and you're going you're gonna to respond um, with, with the first thing that hits your mind. So here we go. Jonah. Oh, now I heard what you said. Jonah and the whale. Um, it's interesting how we, we have these connections to stories and, and what, what we take away from the stories of Scripture. Now, what I want to ask you to do today is the story of Jonah and the whale. You, you've, you've probably heard it before. Jonah is swallowed by a so even if you haven't heard it, now you've got, like, you've got the gist of the story. He's, he's, he's swallowed by a whale, and then the whale does what to Jonah? This is kind of gross. He vomits him up on the, on the shoreline. But he lives, like Jonah lives in the belly of a whale. And some of you are like, this is why I don't read the Bible. That's just crazy. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to stay with me today just a little bit as we tell this story, and maybe we get a little bit of a different perspective of Jonah and the... Okay, you're with me. Good. So a little background before we jump right into to Jonah's story. This little scripture is found to give us some setting. So one of the be- beauties of of a story like Jonah is to understand what's going on, like what's the context of this story. And in first or in 2 Kings, we find the background to Jonah, and this is what it says. Then pull 
king of Assyria, invaded the land. And when it says the land, it's talking about the land of the Israelites, God's people. So Paul, who is the king of Assyria, leads the Assyrians to lay siege on, on Jerusalem and, and the land of God's people, Israel and Judah. And, and then later, Tiglath, parents, another name that you may want to stay away from when, you, when you're naming your kids, um, king of Assyria came and he did what to the people? He deported them. In other words, deported means he took them away from their land where they lived and all the, the livelihood that they knew, and he deported them and took them somewhere else. So this is the background of the Assyrians and the Israelites, which would mean that the Assyrians are what to the Israelites? They're enemies, right? They do not get along. They don't like each other. They're, they're hated uh, enemies. They've attacked us. They've taken our land. It's a clear enemy. Now, for so many of us, when, when, we, when we see the world in this way, we, 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 we understand the world in dualistic terms. There are good people and there are bad people. There's good and there's evil, right? And we see ourselves in that picture. Most of us think of ourselves as good and, and them, whoever them is, as evil, right? Or bad. Yeah. So, so we set the world up in these dualistic terms. And, and the story of Jonah like breaks down those walls for us. It, it like questions the way that we understand the world. So one day, long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of, city of Nineveh, preach to them for they're in a bad way. In other words, um, they are living in evil ways, or, or they're, 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 they're rebelling against me. They're living in a way that does not match up with how I've created them to live, right? They're destroying the peace, like we talked about last week. They're disrupting the peace and the harmony, the, uh, the shalom that, that I've created. Now, just a quick question, side note. I'll make a couple of these today. Just a side note. Have you ever thought to yourself, if God spoke to me like I see him speaking sometimes in Scripture, I would actually listen. Have you ever thought that to yourself? Like if God, like the word of God came to Jonah, like I want the word of God to come to Matt. Like if the word of, I would do whatever he said. Have you ever thought that to yourself? Like I would do whatever God said if he showed up, if he like spoke to me. Now, what, what's interesting is this says nothing about the audible voice of God. Like we read that into the Scripture. Like this says, and maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but, but it says nothing about the audible voice of God. Quick question, have you ever felt or sensed in your life God leading you to do something? Have you ever felt that, sensed that? Yeah, perhaps that is the voice of God coming to you, right? So, so the voice of God comes to, to Jonah and says, get up on your feet and go to Nineveh. Nineveh was in the heart of Assyria. These were Assyrians, which were enemies, hated enemies. So Jonah, having heard the word of the Lord, got up and went in the other direction to Tarshish, running away from God. And then, just to give us a little perspective, Tarshish was as far as he could get away from God as far as he could get away from God. Now, again, we, we think to ourselves, if the word came to me, I would do whatever God told me to do. 
And, and I would ask the question again, and I ask this of myself, have I, ever, have, have, I, have I ever felt led by God to do something, and yet I completely ignored it like it was the, the Mexican food I ate last night? Ha, I mean, have you ever done that? Like you just kind of like set it aside like, wow, that probably wasn't really God. That's just me, and it's weird. And if I call that person or if I write him a letter, if I walk over and sit down and eat with that person, like that's just strange. I would never do that. And so I'm going to ignore whatever it is I felt. Have you, ha, have you ever done that? Yeah, so that, like, that's the story of Jonah. He's ignoring the word that came to him. Now, again, just a little perspective. I want to show you a map. Now, I know maps are sometimes boring. Some of you history buffs will love this, but here's a map that shows you where Joppa is. So this is where Jonah was, 550 miles to, to Nineveh, 2,500 miles to Tarshish. So he is completely ignoring God and running as far as he can from this God, right? Does that make sense? So this gives us a little bit of insight of exactly what's going on. Jonah's just not like, eh, I'm just going to act like God didn't say anything. Jonah's like, I am going to run as fast as I can in the opposite direction because I want nothing to do, not with God, but I want nothing to do with who? The Assyrians, for they are God's enemies. They're my enemies. They must be God's enemies. I'm going to run from them. A storm comes, and this storm is happening, and, and these men on the boat where, where Jonah is heading to Tarshish, they're wondering, what should we do? Like, God is not happy with someone, and it's causing this storm, and so what should we do? And Jonah says to them, throw me overboard into the sea. Then the storm will stop. It's my fault. It's my fault. Now, in the ancient world, we would, we would read this story and we would think, well, that's just crazy that God would cause a storm to happen like this. And in the ancient world, there were these big connections. They had these understandings that when things happened, they didn't just happen, but that, that God actually was actively involved in the world and that he did things um, as, as this, this, this way to get our attention. And, and Jonah was saying, no, no, this is my fault. God's trying to get my attention. So after a little bit of time and trying to figure out what to do with this, they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And then, and this is where the story gets a little crazy. I, I'm with you on this. Some, then God assigned a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the fish's belly for three days and three nights. Now, all this happens in chapter one. There's four chapters of the story, but this is where we normally just like lose interest. We're like, whoa, that's crazy. Or we like, are so enthralled with the big fish that we kind of forget what the rest of the story is about. It's just this like, big, whoa, like, did he really live in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights? Is that even possible? We're going to come back to this, okay? I promise you I'll come back to that question because I know some of you are wondering, like, did this happen? Did it not happen? I'm not really sure what I believe about this. Okay, so we'll come back to that. So after three days and three nights, Jonah is spit back up on the dry land and then God speaks to him again. Now, what would you do if God did this and spoke to you again? You'd probably listen, and, and Jonah does. This time, Jonah started off straight for Nineveh. So I'm not going to go to Tarshish anymore. I'm going to Nineveh. Uh, he went and he preached there. And then the people listened. So look at this response that the people have to Jonah. Like he's scared to death of them, but yet they listen and they trust God. And the king proclaimed, the king over over Nineveh and, and the Assyrians, dress people and animals in burlap and send up a cry for help to God. Now, 
disconnected from our culture, but the idea of putting on burlap is the idea of repentance. In other words, we're, we're going to turn back to God. We're going to go in a new direction. Now, isn't this an interesting little detail that it's not just people, that the animals dress in burlap. Like it's all out, like the people so believe in this God that it's like, no, no, if you have a dog or cat at home, like put bur or just a dog, put burlap on them. Cats will never turn back to God, but put something on. And I keep saying this week after week, and I still haven't gotten too many emails, a few. But anyway, um, so they put on burlap to, 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 to show God, God, we, we, we are repenting. We won't eat anything. We're going to dress in burlap, and we're going to send up a cry of help to God. And the king says this, everyone must turn around. Turn back from your evil life. It's this concept of repentance that we talked about last week, this idea that when you realize you're going in a way opposite of God, when you're disrupting the, the world that he created, the good in the world, that you turn back, you go in. And, this was the word Jesus used just about as often as he used anything. Repent. Go in a different direction. Go in a new way. And the people did it. They repented. They turned around from their evil life. Now, now look at this next line. Jonah was furious. Jonah was furious. Isn't that interesting? Jonah was mad. He was angry, and he lost his temper with God, and he yelled at God, God, I knew it. I knew it. And you think, well, what did you know, Jonah? Like, what, what, like, you knew what? And he goes on. He says, this is, this is what I knew. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into forgiveness. And I am so angry with you for this, God. Well, that's bizarre. Why would he be angry when his enemies just turned back to God and now they're on the same team? Why would he be angry? Well, I wonder if we would be angry if those that we hold up in this dualistic world of good and bad, those that we think are evil, like what, how would we feel if our greatest enemies actually turned to God and found his grace and mercy? Well, most of us want them first to pay for what they've done and then receive God's grace and mercy, right? Well, God, just punish them a little bit. Like, just give them a little bit of pain. But no, no, God, God gives, he's sheer grace, he's sheer mercy. He gives them forgiveness. And he smiles when they turn back to him. Why? Because he's our God and he's their God. He's the creator of all, everyone included, everyone invited to experience his grace and his mercy and love. So, Jonah is kind of wallowing around in his, his, his anger, and he goes outside of the city of Nineveh, and it tells us this little, like, added story at the end that, that Jonah's mad at God, and he's angry, and he, like, sits down on the side of the mountain, and it's hot outside, there's it's like he's in Phoenix. There's like this sun glaring down. And, and it says that God causes this plant to grow up behind him and shade him. 
And, and, and he's like, oh, that's so nice, that plant that God's provided. And then the next day, God causes a worm to come and eat the plant that's shading him, and he finds himself in the sun again with this heat, and he's like, just take my life, God. This is terrible. And God's like, what? I mean, it's like you, you're thankful, and then you're not thankful, and you love my grace, but you don't want me to give my grace to anyone else. Like, why are you angry? Why are you angry when I give my grace to people in this world? Which is a great question. Now, this, this story is a fascinating story. And it asks us all kinds of questions about the way that we view God, the way that we view the world, the way that we tend to live life in this world. And you know where we normally get caught in this story? Where, where do we normally get caught in this story? The what? The fish. It's like the whale. And, and it's interesting, like biblical scholars who spend their entire life studying the Bible and trying to understand it, biblical scholars have debated this question, is this a story that really happened or is this just some sort of parable? Like, we, like, we need to decide that. Like, let's spend our lives debating that question. And so I want to talk to that just, just for a minute. This is like a side note, but I think it's important to us. Um, the question, someone told me that they were asked this question years and years ago, and they, they've never forgotten this question. A, a pastor asked, is this a story of a whale or a whale of a story? Is it, is it a story about a whale or is it, is it just a whale of a story? I mean, is it, is it true or is it a parable? And the pastor in this setting said, I don't think it really matters it's true regardless of whether or not it's a story of a whale or a whale of a story. It's true. And that causes a lot of people to scratch their heads. Now, before you get um, too, like, distracted, let me, let me give you two different perspectives of this story. There are those uh, brilliant biblical scholars who would say this is simply a parable. And, and it's a story that God gave his people to paint this incredible picture of how we often hold tightly to God's grace and we do not want him to give it to our enemies. It's a parable and it's clearly a parable. You can tell by the liter literary devices within the story. This is, this is a parable. And I would say, okay, that's, that's, that's good. I, I get that. But we should never, ever lose the awe and wonder of a God who can do far more than we could ever imagine or dream. That, that we cannot allow God to be defined by what we can understand or what we have experienced. And if we do, that's a God much smaller than the God of the universe. Like if you would be one who would say, no, no, this is just a parable, I would say, I can understand why you would say this is just a parable. I, I get that, but don't in saying that don't lock God into this small being who can't do anything that you can't understand or see outside the realm of our world. That God, if he created this world, he can do so much more than we can understand as humans. Does that make sense? And then there would be those on the other side of the spectrum of fighting about the story, those, those who would say, no, 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 this is a story that is true and it's historical because it's in Scripture. And I would say, I, I understand that perspective of the story. 
I understand how you would say it's in Scripture, and Jesus even mentions this story, so it must be a true story of a historical fact, something that happened. And I would say to you, in that view, in that understanding of this story, don't allow that to distract you from what the real message of the story is, the bigger message of the story is. The message of this story is not that God has the ability to swallow us up with a fish or a whale in the sea that we could live for three days and then spit us out on dry land. That's not the big truth of this story. The big truth of this story is a question that should haunt you and should haunt me, that God in our rebellion, is pursuing us, but not out of anger like we often view it, out of love and mercy and grace. And he's calling us to reflect the image that he planted deep within us long ago. He's calling us back to return to him, to understand what he's planted deep within us. So the story, of, the story of Jonah, I'll, I'll give you these three things. And if you're writing, this is a good thing to write down, and then I'll have a question for us. Um, this is a good thing to talk about in your, in your groups. Um, the story of, of, of Jonah is a story of rebellion, yet a God who pursues. He doesn't just, he just, he doesn't ignore Jonah and let him run away. He pursues him out of grace and love and mercy. He pursues him. The story of Jonah is a story of a God who calls all of humanity back to bear his image, to remember who we really are because the world needs it. And the story of Jonah is, is the story of our tendency to hold tightly to grace and not freely give it to those around us. Now, I think we would all say that we're very thankful for the grace of God in our lives. Wouldn't we say that? that we're thankful for his grace and mercy. The challenge is that it's not ours to hold tightly to, but rather we're to extend that same grace because we're created in His image. The, the image of God is, is one of grace and peace and mercy and hope and love, and we are to reflect that in the world in which we live. It's the truth of our story and who God's called us to be. Um, one of the New Testament authors, Paul, in Ephesians, he writes this. He says, live a life worthy of your calling, that God who's calling you. Live a life worthy of that, reflecting his image, for you have been called by God, you individually, and you corporately. You've been called by God. And you, you might kind of roll your eyes at that and say, I'm not called by God, Matt. Maybe you are because you're a pastor. Maybe our other pastors, maybe some people are called by God. No, no, you are called by God to do what? To reflect his image. In whatever sphere you live in every single day, you're called by God to reflect His image and bring light and hope and peace into that world. So lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So here's the big question, and um, I hope this will lead some of the small groups uh, to, to dig deeper. Here's the big question. How might God use me in my daily activity to bring light and grace into my corner of the world? Now, kind of, a, kind of an out there question, and so to help us get there, I want you to write down, if you have your pens and, and your notebooks, I want you to write down, uh, or some of you on your devices, what, whatever you're, you're working on, five names 
of people you see almost on a daily basis every week? Just write down five names. Somebody at work, at school, somebody at the places that you frequent, but just five names, write down five names. And this week, with this question, how might God, just like he pursued Jonah and called him to reflect his image to the name, how might God use you with those five people? How might he use you to bring light and grace and love into their world? How might he use you to do that? Make a list. Make a list. And remind yourself of that list every day. Like, here are the five people. This, this, maybe it's God's calling me to one of these five people. And the difficulty is then, in the context of your day, to listen for the Spirit of God, the, the Word of God, to come to you and lead you to do something with those people. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's simply building them up. Maybe it's praying for them. Maybe it's asking them a question. Maybe it's learning their story. I don't know what it would be, but to become aware of God's Spirit, the Word of God coming to you in the context of your daily life. You were created in God's image. You were created in God's image. And I know we're all broken and we all rebel, but we were cre- it's who we are. It's the identity that we bear, God's image, and He's called us to reflect that. He's called us to reflect that in the corners that we live every single day. Does that make sense? It's this beautiful story that's unfolding, and it's not yet the end of the story. you got to come back next week because next week is the central piece of the story.